Well, this morning, I want to continue to speak on the topic we've been speaking about the last few weeks, and that is to know Jesus. And uh, quite honestly, I think we could talk about the topic to know Jesus forever and ever and ever because we just cannot know Jesus enough. But I want to talk specifically this morning about getting to know Jesus in the quiet times. In the quiet times. And, and um, I know in my life personally that, that this is an awesome experience for me personally. To The more time I spend on this topic, the more time I spend in my own prayer time, the more amazing I'm finding God to be. The more uh, expansive I'm finding him to be, the more absolutely awesome I'm finding him to be. And it's just, it's just an amazing path to go down. And I, and I just pray that the Lord's Spirit will continue to lead me down that path personally. And hopefully I can help lead the church down the path as well. But two things I want to talk about today as we get to know Jesus in our quiet times. First, I want to talk about his size. I want to talk about why God is worthy to be praised. And I'm going to show you some numbers. I'm going to go through some things today that are going to absolutely blow your mind because you can't comprehend what we're going to talk about. That's the bigness of God. And then I want to talk more about our desire to get closer to God and, more importantly, His desire to get close to me personally in the quiet times of life and getting close to you in the personal times, the quiet times of your life. So I have a, uh, a little uh, slide presentation, a little uh, um, overhead that I'm going to ask Larry to put up here. And I want to talk about how big God is. Okay, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 12 says this. God, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. Now, when we read scripture like this, I know it's easy to read like something like this and then just blow over to the next one because sometimes I have a hard time grasping the words. Do you? Do you have a hard time, you know, say, all right, well, so what, God? You're, you can hold the water in the hollow of your hand and you can mark off the heavens with a span. But what does it really mean? Okay? So when he says measure the waters in the hollow of his hand, I did a little research and found out some things. That... There are 912,500 cubic miles of water on the globe. All right? What's a cubic mile? A cubic mile is a cube one mile by one mile by one mile. It's a box a mile by a mile by a mile. All right, that's pretty big. Now, there's 912,500 cubic miles of water that make up all the water on the earth. And God holds that in the hollow of his hand. Put, put your hand like this. Just look at your hand for a minute, because we're going to talk about your hand for a minute. So look at your hand and just cup it. That little area right here, God is holding all the water of the globe in that little pocket in your hand, and he doesn't spill a drop. All right? Okay, now that's, that's one part. Let's go to the next slide, Larry. How big is God? He's marked off the heavens with a span. The span is the span of his hand. All right, so look at your hand again. Now we're going to be talking from the tip of your little finger to the tip of your thumb. That's how they, in Old Testament times, they measured a lot by the span of a hand. In fact, even horses today, you do by the span of a hand, right? Isn't that how they do some things like that? But anyway, so how big is God? He's marked off the heavens with a span. Well, what are the heavens? Let's talk about heavens for a minute. The distance from the earth to the sun 
is 93 million miles. Okay, the distance from Earth to Sun is 93 million miles. And to help us in our, in our, our, our thinking, we're going, to make, we're going to represent the thickness of a piece of paper to be 93 million miles. Okay? So this paper, for this illustration, equals 93 million miles. That's the distance from the Earth to the Sun. All right? It takes eight minutes for light to reach Earth traveling at 186,000 miles per second. Okay, the speed of light is 186,000 miles per second. Not, not per mile per hour, but per second. Okay, it's fast. Okay, it takes eight minutes for light to reach Earth traveling at that speed, 8.33 minutes. Okay, eight minutes. All right? Now, to the nearest star, to the nearest star, we take a sheet of paper, all right, which equals 93 million miles, and we stack up 71 feet of papers. 71 feet of papers. Each paper is 93 million miles to the nearest star. Okay, that's this many miles. I don't even know how to read that number. Okay, that's a bazillion. 130 bazillion. Okay. Time. It takes, go ahead, Larry. It takes 2.2 years for light to reach the Earth from that star. All right, again, that light's traveling at 186,000 miles per second. It took eight minutes for light to get from the Earth to Sun, but from the nearest star, the, the, the nearest star, 2.2 years for light to reach us from that star. Now, the size of our galaxy. The Milky Way galaxy, when you look up on a clear night and you see all the stars around you, we are in the Milky Way galaxy. And we, we are one of millions of galaxies is what we know of, our scientists tell us. The size of our galaxy. Now, go back to our sheet of paper. I have to take 310 miles now, high, paper. Okay, each paper is worth 93 million miles. It's 10,400 10,400,000 sheets of paper, each paper being 93 million miles high, and that's 29,000.9 bazillion, bazillion, bazillion miles. That's, okay, that's to the size of our galaxy. Time-wise, from, from uh, light to go from one side, it takes 51,000 years for light to travel from one side of the galaxy to the other side of the galaxy. Now, keep in mind, this is in the span of God's hand. Next one, the size of our universe that we know, and as far as we know, it's still expanding from everything that we know. And these are facts, guys. This is not just somebody's ideas. These are facts that, that there's telescopes that are in orbit, and there are very, very smart scientists at NASA and, and astrophysicists around that study the heavens. You know, I spent six months co-oping at NASA when I was in college, and I spent working on the space shuttle program down at Johnson Space Center. I met some of these guys, and they're awesome. I can't understand them. But I certainly got a lot of uh, involvement, and I could really, uh, I could appreciate their wisdom. I could appreciate their knowledge. Okay, known universe. Now take that same stack of paper. We need 310 million miles of paper stacked, which is at, and each mile is worth 10,400,000 sheets, and each sheet is 93 million miles, and this is the size of our known universe. 29.9 whatever, all right? How many minutes? It takes 51 
1,116,184,678 years for light to travel across the universe at 186,000 miles per second. Now, is God big? That's all in the palm of his hand. So how big is God? All of this in the span of his hand? That's pretty indescribable. Can anybody comprehend this God now? Did you, can you see why a few weeks ago we started talking about, when, when, when we talked about making the God my God, and I start taking the attributes of this big God that I can't comprehend and that I take the little bits and pieces of them that I like, like we talked in Sunday school today, is that what we learn about, we learn because we have a desire to learn about something. And that's how these hollow and deceptive philosophies come together is because man likes to learn what he can understand. And if I'm getting into a topic where I can't understand something, what I'll typically do is minimize it down to the point that I can understand it. And that's where we get false teachings. That's where we get the big God that we've just described, and we take the bigness away because I can't describe it, and I take him down to a little genie in a bottle that I can control, that I can call on him when I need him, but then put him back in the bottle when I don't need him. And that's my deceptive, hollow philosophy. And the thing is, I'm taking the big G out of the God, and I'm replacing him with a little G God, and I'm making him my God because I can control my God. But I can't control this God. I can't even, I mean, I, I can't even begin to fathom what this God's all about. All right? So, who do you think's in charge? Who's worthy to be praised? Who deserves the glory? And what's more amazingly about this is that he knows you and he knows me and he wants us to have some quiet time. The bigness of God wants to be brought down when I will embrace myself in him, when I will surrender myself in him, when I will, when I will take me and I am become his servant, not him become my God. When I will fall into his glory, then he wants to spend some quiet time with me. How do I know that? Because it says so. John 14, 23 says, My father will love him or us, I put the us in there, and when we will come to make our home, and he will, and we, he's speaking of the Father, the Holy Spirit, and the, and the, whole, and the, and the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, will come and make their home with us. God will come down to our level because he wants to spend some quiet time with us. And he wants to have some personal time with us. And you know why I say that? Because he did already. He did with Adam and Eve, Genesis 3.8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden. God already has shown to us that he wants quiet time. He wants the personal time. He wants the time where we spend with him on his terms, not on my terms. We just talked about how big this God is. How then can I begin to say, God, I'll serve you on my terms. Wow. Does that sound stupid? I mean, does that even sound reasonable that we would say that to a God that holds the universe in the palm of his hand? And then we would say, God, I worship you on my terms? Oh, my goodness. Wow. Why do we do that? So the process of getting to know Jesus 
is just that. It's a process. It's not a one-time event. I, don't, I didn't get to know Jesus at moment of salvation. That was just where I trusted in him. That's just when I put my life, that's when I've asked him to forgive me of my sins. That's when I had, that's when I developed a relationship, the beginning of a relationship with him. That's just when we started to get on talking terms. Because prior to that time, I wasn't a child of God. Prior to that time, God loved me, but I wasn't a child of his until I said, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Now he adopted me as a son. Now I am a daughter, or I am a son of the God Most High. Now we are on speaking terms. Now is a time that I need to spend time getting to know him, learning about him, spending time with him, doing the things that he asks me to do, not because I have to to earn anything from him, but I do it because I want to to please him. There's such a big difference in that word. Such a big difference. But that doesn't stop us from needing to do things. That's the whole point. We, that's, that's part of the hollow deceptive philosophies that life has, is that we don't want to hear the, thing that I, the responsibility that I have. We just want to experience what God has. But the reason I, the, the, how I get what God has is as I obediently serve him. Salvation is unmerited grace. Blessings are a favor of God that he does as we please him. You go, read the, you go read the word yourself and you find out how conditional God's blessings are. God's blessings are very conditional. If you do this, I will do this. If you do this, I will do that. That's what the Bible says about blessings. Salvation is strictly through my believing in Jesus. So the process is, how do we, what are some of the common denominators in developing relationships? See, if I want to develop a relationship with you, my, the way I develop a relationship with Rich is different than, I, than, than with Paula. Okay? We don't develop relationships the same way. I have a different way to develop a relationship with Paula as I do with Rich. But there are some common denominators in that. What are, these, what are these denominators? Common denominators of getting to have a relationship is the fact that, first of all, I have to desire to have a relationship. Um, I've heard the old axiom that stated this way, but to have friends, one needs to be friendly. If you're going to have friends, you need to be friendly first. <laughs> Nobody wants to be around a grumpy person. <laughs> so you have to want to. There has to be that desire to have friends or you won't have friends. And then there must be an effort to reach outside of yourself to develop a friendship. See, I can't force you to have friends, just like you can't force me to have friends. There has to be a personal desire within me to want to have a friend. And then I have to show some of my friendliness out to them first. Okay? So how do we do this? Well, we do this through communication. I can't be your friend until you and I communicate. We have to have some level of communication before we can be friendly. And we communicate through verbal communication. We communicate written through written word. We communicate through face-to-face -face personal interactions. Some of, the, some of the most quality time I can spend with somebody is sometimes just sitting in a room with them saying very few words. Sometimes it's not an issue of sitting next to 
to, you know, Gabby Chatty, you know, or that uh, Chatty Cathy or whoever, I don't know who that person is. But, you know, it's not just the amount of words you speak. Sometimes it's the quality of the time that we spend with somebody. But we have to communicate. We have to have shared goals and areas of interest. Having similar interests are a key, really, to wanting to spend time with somebody. So I have to have a, des- a common desire. And then I have to have a commitment to keep at it. Because there are going to come times in my relationship building process where I'm going, to, I'm going to be tempted to stop developing a relationship. Maybe you've done something. Maybe I've done something. Maybe I'm stressed. Maybe, I, maybe I, I'm offended. I'm going to have to have a level of commitment to keep that relationship building process going. And how does that all relate to having a relationship with Christ? Well, it's almost identical in nature, quite honestly. It's, al- it's almost an identical set of circumstances for me to get to spend time to get to know you or to me spending time getting to know Jesus is almost identical. I have to communicate. I have to want to have a relationship. I have to be friendly. I have to share common goals and interests. I have to have a commitment to keep at it. See, God doesn't set things in order by accident. These are all common threads that he structures through every area here. And one of Satan's most, most effective tool, I believe, to keep Christians ineffective is by selling us on the strategy that I don't really have to get to know Jesus that well to be his friend. That I can just call out his name once in my life and then, oh, I'm okay. Then I'm a friend of Christ. See, if he can keep me from that personal interaction with God, then he will keep me basically powerless. Satan's strategy is not to keep us from God necessarily. It's just keeping us from God on a regular basis. In all honesty, Satan doesn't care if you come to church. You coming to church one time a week doesn't really impact the kingdom of Satan. It's when you come to church every day in your own personal prayer time. That's what impacts the kingdom of Satan. So by you coming to church on Sunday morning, well, big whoopee. Now, I shouldn't say that. We appreciate you in church. Don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. It's important to be in church. Don't, don't go off on me here. But, but, see, that's, but that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is the quality time that God wants to have with us on a daily basis. You want power in your life? You need to spend quality time with Jesus on a quality basis, on a, time, on a timely basis, every day. So that's my challenge is us, is that it's moving from a one time a week to a daily experience of getting to know Jesus so that we can truly make him the center point of our life, that we can truly say that, that we can truly say, yes, Jesus, you are the center point of my life because I'm spending time with you every day. I'm trying to listen to what you're asking me to do. I'm trying to do what you want me to do. I'm trying to be obedient to you. How do you know, how, do you, how can you be obedient if you, don't, if, he doesn't, if you don't know what he's saying? How, how can you follow God if you don't know what he's asking you to do? How do you find out what God wants you to do? By spending time with him. It's, it, it's, if you think you're going to do it by following your flesh, you're mistaken. If you think you're going to do it by just doing what you think you're going to want to do is right, you're mistaken. That's where the hollow and deceptive philosophies come in. Because our flesh 
doesn't automatically line up with God's word. In fact, our flesh will take us the opposite of God's word. So if you think I can live my life on my thinking, on the way I think I should live, without getting into God's word and without reading what God's word is saying, let me tell you very, cant- very candidly and very lovingly, you're mistaken. Because you will not follow God's word by your own ability or by your own intuition. Why are quiet times so important? Why are the personal quality times so important? And what's really happening in those times? Well, Psalms chapter 139, 23 and 24, we've said this verse before. In fact, I've asked you to memorize it. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Search me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any um, offensive, I keep forgetting that word. See if there's any offensive way or any wicked way in me, and then lead me in the way everlasting. The reason that quality times are so important, it's because that's when the time is that you can be honest with yourself. That's when you can be honest with yourself. Hear me, so important. this is such an important idea. See, because God already knows your heart. He already knows your desires. He knows you better than you know yourself. He's going to know what you... He's going to, he knows your thought before you have your thought. Just like He knew you before you were in your mother's womb. I don't understand that. And I don't need to understand that. I'm glad I don't understand that. Because that makes God that much bigger, in my opinion makes him so much more awesome, in my opinion, that this God that I serve knows all this about me. See, and the quiet times are so important because now that's where I can be honest with myself. When I can come before the Lord and I can call out on Him and I can say, God, I've asked you to search me. I've asked you to expose some wicked ways within me. And then I can be honest about it. See, I can't, it's inappropriate for me to have that kind of a prayer over a Thanksgiving dinner. (laughs) It's not appropriate for me to pray that way in public. It's not appropriate for me to get honest with myself when I'm praying with people. I need to be by myself. I need to be where I can get alone with God no matter where that's at. If it's in your house, that's fine. If it's coming to the church, that's fine. Uh, For me personally, it's here. I come here early in the mornings, and I walk here, and I say the things I need to say. I cry out for the Lord, but I need to cry out. And I'm learning to be honest with myself. I'm learning to say, God, I don't understand. God, I don't like. God, I don't know how. God, help me. God, give me the next word. God, 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 help me, because I don't know, and I'm fooling myself, and I'm learning to be honest with myself, and I can't do that unless I'm in a quiet time with God. I can't do that on my way to work. I can't do that when I'm rushing between jobs. I can't do that unless I take the time personally to get before God and say, God, I'm asking you to reveal some things. Now, please reveal them. And then me take the time to listen. The quiet times. That's when I really reflect on my heart's condition. That's the time where I take the time necessary to speak them. I speak it out. And it's so important that I raise my voice. I use my voice in my quiet times. I just don't think about it in my mind. I speak it out. And sometimes I get a little ambitious with it. Sometimes I cry it out. Sometimes I scream it out. 
Sometimes I whisper it out. But when I do that, see, it not only helps me, but it puts the enemy on, on notice. Because now the enemy hears my voice and he knows where I'm coming from and he knows that I'm trusting God. And he knows that I'm being honest with myself because when I'm honest with myself, that's what we talked about earlier, Jackie, when I'm honest with myself and when I recognize that I am not capable. Yeah, devil, I know that. <laughs> You're not telling me something I don't already know because I know that I'm not able to do this on my own, devil. So don't play the games with me. Don't try to put that in my mind secretly because I already know it. But what I am is that I'm an overcomer in Christ. Because Jesus' has co- blood has covered me, I can do all things through him who, through Christ, who strengthens me, right? And so can you. So by you using your voice, you're telling the devil that you already know it. And that you're not worried about what he has to say anymore because you already know it and you're acknowledging it and you're being, and you're being honest with yourself. The quiet times are also time to spend time listening to God and gaining personal insights. It's in, the, it's in these intentional quiet times that God's able to speak into your life. He wants to speak to you. Do you know that? Do you know that God wants to whisper things in your spirit? God wants to communicate back to you? Prayer is just not me babbling on to God. Prayer is a quiet time where I listen, I reflect, I hear, I sense it, I write it down, I read God's Word, He speaks to me in the God's Word. It's an amazing thing. Oswald Chambers talks about this, and he gives us an insight into why quiet times are important. And he uses, he references Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. And he says this, this is what Luke says, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither, who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with, with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God keep well, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Now, Oswald Chambers says this about this passage. He said, Jesus said that there are times when your father will appear as if he were an, un- an unnatural father as if he were callous and indifferent. But remember, he is not. Everyone who asks, receives. If all you see is a shadow on the face of the Father right now, hang on to the fact that he will ultimately give you clear understanding and will fully justify himself in everything that he has allowed into your life. What he's saying is that you may not understand it today, you may not understand it tomorrow, You may have to go a long time in this life before you understand why God has allowed some things to happen in your life. Maybe some tragic losses. Maybe a business dealing went bad. Maybe a relationship. I don't know. Maybe a death. I don't know what it is. But understand that he will justify himself in the end. In the end, 
God will justify himself, and he will show you why it was the right thing for, to, for you to go through at that moment in your life. As difficult as it was for you to go through that right now, as difficult as it is, you don't understand it, God will justify himself because he has a plan. And his plan is true, his plan is faithful, and his plan is for your best interest as you seek him. And then Oswald goes on to say, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Wow. Will he find the kind of faith that counts on him in spite of the confusion? Stand firm in faith, believing that what Jesus said is true. Although in the meantime you do not understand what God is doing, he has bigger issues at stake than the particular things that you are asking of him right now. We prayed today. We, we, we went out on a limb today, and we prayed in faith for Rich's healing, for my daughter in Tibet, for Angel's granddaughter to get a job, for all of our unsaved loved ones. We went out on a limb today, didn't we? We went out in faith asking God to bring healing, to bring these things. Here's the deal. He says that he will do it. What he doesn't tell me is when. What he doesn't tell me is, is it going to happen right now or is it going to happen over a process of life? But he will answer your prayers. Rich, you're, you're going to be healed. Your shoulder will be healed. I don't know if it's right now. I don't know. But it, and it, and it may, and then this is not a lack of faith, by the way. This is not defeating when I say this. But when you go to heaven, you will have a new shoulder. Paul went through his life with... And with, a, with an affliction in his body that he prayed three times and God did not heal it, what he said is, my grace is sufficient. But Paul's affirmity or infirmity right now is perfect. Paul was healed forever and ever and ever, but yet he walked his life with an infirmity that God did not take away from him. So I'm not saying that because we pray that God is going to miraculously heal us, that would be saying, God, you're my genie. Now do what I told you to do. That's me taking control of the situation and say, God, you need to heal me right now. I don't have the ability to do that. God's holding the universe in the span of his hand. How can I tell that guy anything? What I do is I come to him and I ask him. I fully, I fully pour myself into him. And as I do that, then he will give us the desires of our heart as we do that. And sometimes it may be a miraculous healing. And sometimes maybe not. But it will be fulfilled in the end. Quiet times are a time to learn and prepare for the future. Quiet times are a time to learn and prepare for the future. Jesus was our, is always our greatest example. When we go back and look, look at the life of Christ in the, in the Gospels, in the New Testament, he is always our greatest example. In a book written by Stephen Scott named The Greatest Words Ever Spoken, Stephen Scott says this, Because Jesus is a co-equal, co-eternal member of the Trinity, it's easy to almost gloss over or, or even miss the extraordinary significance of his relationship with God the Father. In doing so, it is easy for us to diminish the role of the Father in Jesus' life and in ours. We cannot worship the Father unless we see him for who he really is and understand his relationship with the Son.
John chapter 5, verse 19. Jesus gave them this answer. I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. And there's many other passages in God's word that I'm not going to take the time to go through right now that that tell us that on a regular basis, Jesus would steal himself away from the crowds and even from his own disciples and go alone and pray. Now, if Jesus needed to do that, do you? Do I? John chapter 6, verse 38, Jesus again says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus was our perfect example for us to spend the quiet times that we need to have so that we understand God's will for my life and for your life and for the life of this church. One of the biggest things that I fear for my life is that someday when my life is over and I take my last breath or the rapture takes place, whichever comes first, one of my biggest fears is that I'm going to regret I didn't spend enough time with Jesus while I had the time. See, I'll tell you right now, I'll be very honest with you, I'm a very good procrastinator. I'm very good at that. I've I've developed that technique over the years, and I'm pretty good at it, procrastinating things. But what I'm learning is part of my quiet time with the Lord, he's working with me on that, especially when it comes to the spiritual things, that I don't procrastinate my relationship time with God, that I don't put that off. How, how, How long is my life compared to God's eternity? Psalms chapter 39, verses 4 through 6. The psalmist says, Show me, O Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting is my life. You have made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is nothing before you. Each man's life is but a breath. Man is a mere phantom as he goes to and fro. He bustles about, but only in vain. He heaps up wealth, not knowing who will get it. Basically, I'm so busy, busy, busy. I'm so going about the business of life, doing the good things. These are not bad things to do business. I'm not saying you've got to be sluggards. I'm not saying that at all. But we can get so busy with the things that don't last that we can accumulate big wealth only to let somebody else have the fruit of it because I'm gone. And my regret is that someday... I'm going to get to heaven, and and I'm going to have a regret to say, boy, I should have done more. And I don't even know if that's biblical. So you can throw that one out if you want to. (laughs) But I will say, though, that I don't want that. I want Jesus to say, Mike, you did a good job. Well done, thou good and faithful. Well done. You did everything I asked you to do to the best that you could. I want to know his direction. I want to know his presence. I want his power. I want his glory. That's what I want in my life. And what am I willing to do to get it? What am I willing to do to get that? The major way to get it is go to my quiet times. Go to my personal times. Don't give up on God in the quiet times. Because if you give up on God there, where are you going to get your direction from? 
Where are you going to get your inspiration from? You can't run through life all the time thinking that you're just going to do it right. Quiet times, so important. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. How do you get all that? Through the quiet times. Through the times where it's just me and God. So as we conclude, Jack, if you'd come, how important are the quiet times? Well, they're vitally important. They're vitally important because that's where the work gets done. That's where God's will is accomplished in the quiet times. It's only when I purposely spend quality time in God's presence am I able to be honest with myself, able to be honest with myself and God. It's only there I can listen to his voice. It's only there that I can learn of his purpose for today and for the future. And it's only there where I prepare for my future. So don't let the enemy come in and try to tell you that it's not important. This is not a legalistic work. This is not a bondage to put on you. This is the only way you're really going to get to know Jesus. Is through your personal quiet time. You don't get to know Jesus this. This is not getting to know Jesus. This is just sitting in a lecture lab, and those that are in college know you learn when you go study. You learn when you get to the library. You learn on your own time. The lecture is just where the information has been dumped into you. The instructions dumped into you. Now, where you learn is where you take what you got dumped into today and you take it tomorrow and you dwell on it and you think on it and you spend time on it. That's why I pray that every, every week I pray the Lord gives the messages there here through me that I take through the week and I pray you can take through the week and chew on it and dwell on it and think about it. Amen? See, God knows how busy you are. God knows all that. He knows your problems. And he says, you know what, guys? Listen. Listen very closely. I have it all right here. I have it all here in the palm of my hand. And you, by the way, if you were to try to measure yourself, I was telling this to Jenna over the weekend, and, and she was trying to say, well, then you might be like a little vein in your hand. I said, Jenna, come on. You're not even that much. She goes, well, you could be that. I said, no, Jenna. You can't, you can't even see yourself. In God's hand. You, you can't even see it. But God loves you in the process. He loves us so much that he gave his son to die for us. And he would have died just as we said at the very beginning of the service. If it was only you, he would have died for you. Wow. Doesn't that blow you away? Thank you, Jesus. Now, I hope this encourages you to study this week. I hope this encourages you to go into your quiet time and your private time. And when you get before God, you're starting to see, why am I here, God? Why am I here? I'm just not here because I have to be. I'm here, Jesus, because I want to get to know you. I want to know this big God. Oh, man.
the only way we can end the service today is just to say thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you are for us. Thank you, Jesus, for giving your life for us. Thank you, Jesus, for caring about us. You're so big. You're so awesome. Thank you, God, for being real to me. Thank you for letting me feel your presence. Thank you, Jesus, for drawing myself into your word that I would want to know more about you, that I would want to do the things that please you, that I would want to live a life worthy of you, that would never displease you. Help me in this, Jesus, I pray. Amen. thank you now for this day. Lord, you are so overwhelming to us. Lord, I just pray that your presence and your spirit would just go with us throughout this week. Lord, that you would just be upon us. That your unbelievably amazing presence would just be all over us this week. 
And Lord, be close to us when we come into our quiet times. Father, I know the enemy is going to be active. I know that he's going to be actively opposing anyone that would kind of come in a private time this week. And so, Lord, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would be quick, that your spirit would be quick, Lord, to, to, to be sensed, to be felt for those that would seek quiet time, maybe for the first time this week. We ask this in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, for your glory, Jesus, all for the glory of Jesus, we ask this. Amen.